This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, Why Are We Here? This is the second message of the series, Good Questions. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. After Jesus rose from the dead, the church was launched. Missionaries were called and sent out across the world to teach the good news of Jesus Christ. One of those missionaries was the Apostle Paul. No man in previous history had traveled so far or suffered so much to bring people the truth, he could not stay still or silent while others remained ignorant. Every day he told all about Jesus and his resurrection and yet was undeterred by the lack of response. As he traveled the Eastern Mediterranean, it was in Athens, Greece, where Paul found himself facing some good questions. Paul arrived in that great city of Athens, not as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. Athens was the cultural, educational, and influential center of Greece, much like Atlanta is to Georgia. Paul saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry and it broke his heart. The city was devoted to philosophy as the Athenians spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. As Paul looked around the city, his spirit was stirred by all the marble shrines to pagan gods. He used every opportunity he had to share the gospel and it didn't take long for the philosophers to hear about the new thing he was teaching and they approached Paul and invited him to explain his views to the court of the Areopagus, which had the right to expel unacceptable philosophers. As Paul stood in front of these people, he knew what was at stake. Behind them, he saw the marble shrines that represented their misdirected spirituality, and they asked Paul, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? And that was a good question. The philosophers asked Paul a good question. Paul, can you, can you make sense of this new teaching? And so Paul stepped in and answered their questions. And in Acts chapter 17, we find his response. So all across 12 Stone and Online, grab your Bibles. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 17. If you have a worship center Bible here at one of the 12 Stone campuses, it's on page 1112, page 1112, Acts chapter 17. And hey, by the way, if you're at one of the campuses on the way out today, if you don't have a Bible, go to our guest information. We'd love to give you a Bible as our gift. Now, maybe you're using a mobile app or something with the Bible. Well, it's Acts chapter 17. We'll start reading at verse 29, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. If you weren't with us last week, let me catch you up. We're answering questions in a format that's similar to to what Paul did in the time. Kind of a town hall, as you can see, uh, 12 stoners from each of the campuses sitting around. We're all excited to be here, right, 12 stone? Yeah, we're all fired up to be here. And and, and what we're going to do is very similar to what Paul did. He talked for, for a bit. I'm going to talk maybe 15 minutes. And, and then we went to, he went to Q&A. And I'm going to go to some Q&A. 12 Stone, you sent questions in. And, and, and a lot of you folks have questions. And we're just going to dive in. But I got to keep this set up from where we left off last week. So let me take you to the board because there's a context. We could filter Paul's conversation from the four core questions, if you will, or, or the four corner questions. Maybe if you were here, you remember. If not, get online, check out the teaching from last week. We, we said that, that life has puzzling questions, but, but when you set up a puzzle, what do you do? You get out all the pieces, and then you put the four corners, you find those first, and then you get all the flat pieces, and, and you make the frame. Now, this week, I, I pre-wrote it out, because if you were 
were here last week, you know I did such a horrible job making the first piece that was just a joke. So, so now I drew it out. You can draw it out on your notes if you'd like to, but there are four core questions, corner questions in life, and, and you can understand Paul's teaching through these, the question of origin, the question of meaning, the question of morals, the question of destiny, and, and really corresponding with those four are the questions we put in your teaching notes. The question of origin, where do I come from? Or the question of meaning, where we'll camp today, why am I here? Or the question of morals, we'll pick up next week. Who am I? Or, or, or more practically, how do I live? Or the question of destiny, where am I going? And we said each week we would, we would take one of these core corner questions, we would unpack it for a bit, and then we would Q&A. So today we're going to Q&A on the subject of culture. You sent in a bunch of questions. Campus pastors brought them together. You brought questions of your own. And, 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 and we'll unpack those. But, but let me talk a little bit first from Paul. Because in Acts chapter 17, he wrote, and we're going to pick up with verse 29, where he left off. If you want to follow along, here we go, verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, everybody say that word with me. Since we are God's what, church? Offspring. offspring we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Say it with me. To what, church? Repent. For he has set a day when he will judge. Everyone across Tolstone, I want you to say that word with me. What's the word again? He will what? Judge the world with justice by the man that is Jesus he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And that, <laughs> then Paul left the council. Now, why are we here? That's the meaning question. And Paul would have a couple of insights. I jotted this down in your teaching notes. If you're kind of a fill-in-the-blank person, here it is. Meaning comes from being God's offspring. Jot it down. Meaning comes from being God's offspring. You see, he's saying right off the bat, you are God's offspring. And as God's offspring, that gives you meaning. Knowing where you are from gives you meaning. This past summer, my granddaughter, my only grandchild, passed one year old. She's incredibly adorable. If you look on the screen, you'll see the picture. She's amazing. And here she is. She crawled over to me, and there was my Harley Davidson blanket, the soft, incredible orange and black beauty. And when, as soon as she touched it, she just dropped her head. It was spectacular. She's like, oh. And then she put her two fingers in her mouth and started sucking. Now, this, this is her signature move, which proves... She's my offspring and my son's offspring. She's my offspring because as soon as you come near Harley Davidson, you just want to hug it. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. I mean, she, just, she got near it. She said, oh, this is huggable. Grandpa loves Harley Davidson. But when she put those two middle fingers in her mouth and started sucking them, the only child of ours that ever did that was Josh, the firstborn, her daddy. And the only one I've ever seen do that. 
it's Josh. And I'm so delighted because I'm like, you are your daddy's girl. And it was so annoying to try and stop that habit that, that eventually, because what, you're going to cut off fingers? It's not like a binky or something like you can pull it out. It's like, I can't get rid of the finger. So eventually I had to put a sock on it to get him to stop at night. And that didn't work. Eventually we had to put a glove on it. And so, so Josh is going to have that same wonderful joy with his daughter. Here's my point. I'm saying, oh, Breland, you are your grandpa's granddaughter. You are your daddy's daughter. Meaning comes in the relationship of where you're from, your offspring. And Paul is saying, this is what begins to answer the question, why am I here? It gives meaning and definition. Paul was a student of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon authored it, and Solomon was wrestling with questions of meaning. What gives something more meaning or less meaning? And he's talking about life, and he's talking about work, and he's talking about relationships. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's talking about projects and pain and pleasure. He says, I've assessed the whole thing in life, and I can just tell you what ultimately matters. What's more meaningful, what's less meaningful. And he said, at the end of it, chapter 12, he just says, revere God and do what he says. That's it. Like this long chapter, years of wrestling. He says, at the end of the day, revere God. Do what, church? Revere, revere God. God. Fear God. In other words, make sure that God is at the center of what you honor and revere. You lose reverence, fear of God, and you lose meaning in life. Just do what he says, because there's all the wisdom to have a meaningful life. Or as the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a relationship. In other words, we all have a meaning meter, a meter that measures what's meaningful in our life. Let me just play around with this a little bit. You may have never thought about it before, but, but you do. You look at things in life, you decide, well, now what has meaning? What has more meaning? What has less meaning? You have a meaning meter. So out of curiosity, how many of you either had a pet when you were growing up, you have pets now with your kids, or somewhere in your life, you've had a pet, a pet's been involved across all the stone, online, everywhere, here, hands up, hands up if it's true, okay? On the count of three, I want you to give me the name of your favorite pet, either past or present. On the count of three, the name of your favorite pet, everyone listening, online and otherwise, give the name of your favorite pet on the count of three. Ready? Loud and proud. One, two, three. I got it. Perfectly clear. Now, we've gone through several pets as a family. Uh, we started with turtles. Uh, we went to fish. Uh, let's see what I've done. The gerbil, the bunny, uh, the, uh, the dog, the outdoor cat, because that's where they always belong. Uh, <laughs> let's see. The, then we did, uh, we, 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 oh, we, yeah, we did the bearded dragon. And we're back to turtles. Now, people tend to fall in love and give great meaning to their pets. And if you do, I get it. I, I understand, we care about our pets. But, but if somebody came running to your door and said, oh, I was just driving across in front of your house and I, and I hit your dog, that would be a difficult moment. But, but if they ran to your door and they said, look, I, your son was, was, was playing, ran out of the yard and, and, and my car just hit him. This would be a incredibly undoing moment. Yes, please agree. Okay, please agree, tell me you care about your kids. Okay, this horrible, it happened to us. When I, when I was about four years old, my brother, older than me, 18 months ahead of me, Ron, uh, came out of a garage and out onto the road. A car hit him. I mean, I was right behind him. And, and it, was, it just scarred me for life. He was knocked out. I thought he was dead. I mean, I was just tore up. The guy runs into the house, to the house and tells mom, and okay, and Ron ends up being okay. Okay, thank God. But, but, son, dog. See, you immediately know meaning, don't you? 
You wouldn't want either one hit, but you would take, I hope, the dog, because the child has more meaning. Dog cat. (laughs) We already know. Somebody comes running up to your door, and they say, man, I hit your cat, and I killed it. You're like, thank you. (laughs) Right? No, I'm just having fun. You cat people, don't, don't write me notes again. There will be cats in heaven, one or two, I'm sure, have got to slip by. God can't corral them. Anyhow, so just, just move on. So, so, but you know what? If somebody comes, think about this. Yeah, this has never happened to you, but if somebody comes to your door, and they, tell, they knock on the door feverishly, and you come to the door and say, listen, 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 listen. Oh. Man, I'm so sorry. I was driving by your house. This ant walked out of your grass. I couldn't even stop in time. I rolled right over it. Dude, I checked. It's, it's like flat. It's dead. The ant's dead. I mean, you'd be like deadpan. Seriously? Okay, dude, thanks, man. Whew. All right, I'm going to work to get over it. But you're like emotionally uninvolved. You know why? Because you don't care. Because on your meaning meter, the ant, despite Disney trying to tell us with their ant animation that ants matter, okay? They really don't, okay? We don't, we don't care because it doesn't rank high on your meaning meter. And here's what Paul is saying. Being God's offspring is what sets what is meaningful and less meaningful in life. And it's got to be calibrated by the truth. By the what? That, that's why in the second place, he, he would say meaning comes from the truth, so repent. Meaning comes from the truth, so Repent. See, see what he's, he's telling us here is that in the past, God overlooked ignorance. But now he's asking everyone to repent because he's going to judge. He's going to what? You know what's going on right here? Paul is talking to the Areopagus. All the philosophers who are convinced that they're there to judge what is meaningful and meaningless in life. Like their job is to judge. That's what they've concluded. So Paul, come talk to us. We'll let you know. We'll be the judges of that. Doesn't even occur to them that the truth is you didn't design God so you can't judge. Listen, if you didn't design life, you can't assign meaning to life. You're not the judge. What he said was undoing to them because they thought they were the judge. Like, that's why we're here. And Paul's going to unpack this and say, you're not the judge. By the way, isn't that the culture we live in right now? Isn't that, I can't hear you. Is that the culture we live in? Don't we live in a culture who all around us in the culture, they're like, I'll be the judge of that. I'll I'll decide what's meaningful and what's meaningless. And we're in, in fact, part of the questions we're going to ask among one another is, I I don't get it. I don't know how to do this because the world says that's meaningless. God says that's meaningful. In fact, let me just, let me take this to the whiteboard and then we'll get on to the questions. I want to help you understand. There's only two ways, only two ways to figure out meaning in life. One is to start with God. The other is to start with me. To start with God or start with me. To start with God or start with mankind. When you start with God, that means it's from the outside in. Say it with me. It's from the what? outside in. Here's what it means. You start with God. That's from the outside in, which means you answer the four core questions. You figure out where I came from and why I'm here. I'm his offspring. He's the judge. I'm not. He sets what's meaningful in life. And therefore, all of my puzzling questions on the inside of life are answered based on the framework for life. 
The only other way to answer the questions are if I start with me, mankind, in the middle. And then I answer questions from the inside out. From the what? Yeah. In other words, I start with me. And when I start with me, I say, well, listen, whatever I feel, whatever desires I have, that's me, that's real, that's legit, that's valid. Therefore, God must conform to my conclusions. And I decide what's meaningful or meaningless. Those are the only two ways to decide. That conflict is going on in the Areopagus. That conflict is going on in our culture. So we have questions. Let's go to them. Let's just jump in. Let's, let's just jump in on the myriad of questions. I'm not sure I have all the answers, but, but Travis, you're going to help, and, and Jason, you're going to help. Come on out here, guys. Everybody's here. We, we, questions were asked by 12, so let's jump in. Let's just, let's just see where it takes us. Here we go. Who's got questions? Let's go. Hey, PK. Hey. Uh, Jason Bonds from yeah. the Flowery Branch Campus. Hey, Jason. So... The morality of our culture keeps slipping further and further away from, from God's moral compass. So yeah. how do we live in this world and, and raise our kids in this world when they're totally inundated by media, music, the internet, our work, kids' school? How do we function in that environment when we're just totally submerged in it? Yeah, with great difficulty. Next question. <laughs> Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a really good question. In fact, we're, I think we're all kind of asking uh, the question. In fact, in fact stay, stay right there. Let me go right back here. Let me, let me use this as a framework to start answering your question, okay? So if you live in a world that starts with me and my feelings and my desires are the framework from where I start, then the world is inundating us with movies, music, what else did you say? All, media, internet, all that kind of stuff. All okay. and, and they're telling us that it's a me-centered world and they expect God to conform to them. While we are trying to tell the world God is the beginning and we're going to live like God and answer questions from the inside out right? If you don't know what you're battling, you don't know how to win. You, you got to know this is what you're battling. And, and the problem is, is not so much as nothing wrong with the internet, nothing wrong with TV, nothing wrong with... It, it's the thinking behind it. The Areopagus is setting the standard for us. So when God set up the church, no wonder he set it up so that we would get connected. When he said one every seven days you gather for worship, why? Because you gotta sustain the reverence for God or the culture will draw you in. When we get into small groups, why do we get into small groups? Because whatever you feed on, you lead from. And if you don't pour into your life the consistent truth, the weight of the world will eat you. You will join the world and you won't even know that you joined the world. So what did Jesus say? Uh, what is it? John, John, John 17, when he did the high priestly prayer, he prayed saying to the father, they are in the world, but they're not of the world. Isn't that the essence of what we're supposed to do? That, that our battle is this. God put us in the world. He understands it. He knows we're in that situation. And so just like Jesus, we leave, live in the world physically, relationally, experientially. But the principles and the values we bring in are from the outside in. And so we live quite different from the world at the core of our thinking and at the core of our living. Am I making any sense? So it's all about our perspective. It, it our is perspective. View, how we see it. But you can't sustain it on your own. That's the whole point. 
See, when you settle that with God, you have more influence on the world around you. So the role of church, the role of brother sisterhood, the role of God's word, the role of worship, all of that is to help you sustain while you're in the world, not being of the world. And isn't that really the great battle for all of us? So sometimes people think, Jason, that if they do all those things just by the activity of those things, that makes them mature, and it's not. The, the activity of those things train you in godliness. It's the application of it and living it out. But we help one another do that on the journey. So, well, And what you're saying reminds me of uh, be, be not conformed, but transformed by the renew, daily renewing of your mind. Come on, man. Right. Just, cool, just give, give it up for Jason. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Bonus points. Yeah. Can, yeah. I ask, uh, can I ask a follow-up? Yeah, keep on. Because that, that's a great line of thinking, Jason, and also a phenomenal name. Um, <clears throat> real quick, as a parent... As culture is, is complicated, and every generation says, it was easier when I was a kid, it's hard to raise kids, and the complexity with internet and everything else. How much do you, do you kind of guard your kids and, and put a fence around them yeah. from culture? Yeah. And how much do you let them engage with culture and teach them how to engage in culture? Does that make sense? Sure it does. And uh, the reason every generation thinks it was easier for their generation, more difficult for the next, and I want to say this right, but every generation gets comfortable with its own sin. Mm. That one's down. <laughs> and so when the next generation, you see, we don't mind moving God's lines. We don't like people moving ours. And so every generation moves the lines to their comfort. And then the generation behind them moves the lines again. And they're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? So that's the first problem, that, that there's a moving of lines. Secondly, everything needs boundaries. Every good thing needs boundaries. Food is good, it needs a boundary. Internet's fine, it needs a boundary. TV has its place, it needs a boundary. Everything that's good in life needs a boundary and every good thing without a boundary eventually becomes destructive. So my role is to be the boundary maker and the interpreter of what my kids are experiencing. Because listen, I'm, I'm gonna say this to all of 12, so all of you listening, okay, you ready? You cannot isolate your kids. J Jesus said you'd be in this world. You just can't be of it, which means this. You raise your kids in the culture, not isolated from the culture. Man, if I could just raise my kids isolated. Well, it'd be easy for all of us. It'd be weird. I don't know how you do it, but, 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 but that sounds like, but that's not actually how you raise them. Your job is to be so engaged with God that you know how to interpret the culture and help your kids build a meaningful filter, what to let in and what not to allow in. So I'm intimately engaged in everything that my kid does because I know what he's getting over the internet. I watch TV with him. I dialogue with him about life, et cetera. Am I getting to, that's, that's to, to your stuff? Let's keep going. Other questions? There's one here. Hi, I'm Robin from Sugarloaf. Hey, yes. um, this is kind of a tough one, but it is close and personal from my experience. Okay. The culture is very, it's a hot button thing, the LGBTQ issue, gender identity. Uh -huh. And I, it's, I almost don't want to bring it up because it's so intense right now, but yep. it's part of my personal experience. How do we engage with that community and how do we talk with our kids about engaging with that community because the culture wants to hear about it and, and they don't always want to hear from us. They're disrespectful sometimes to those of us who are holding to God's values and vision and, and ideals for marriage and family and gender. And how do we even talk about that subject? Uh Travis, what would you say? How about yeah, we yeah. just turn it? Sure. Yeah. Why don't we just yeah. turn it to I've you, really Travis? I've been chewing on this for a while. Uh, um, yeah, no, you. 
really, really legit question. Uh, uh, I'm glad you asked it, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Let, let me go back here and then let me get to your question. Because there are two different ways of setting what is meaningful and valued in life. Stay with me, because this is, I ah, know I'm going to be misunderstood. Sometimes the world makes sense to me. If I started with me at the center, and I used my feelings and desires as the definer of what is meaningful in life, and I have no other boundaries, the majority of the culture's decisions actually make sense to me. I'm not sitting back there wondering, like, how do you come to that? I'm like, I know exactly how, because I have all kinds of feelings and desires in various arenas of life. Right. So now let's come to your question. There are people that say, well, I have, you know, same-sex attraction, and that's real for me. Uh, or I think I'm a, a, an opposite gender trapped in, in this body. And in a culture that says if you feel it and desire it, then it's right and good, I see how they come to the conclusion. So I recognize and I respect their value as a human being, and I understand they have great wrestlings. And equally, I recognize that I come from a different perspective that starts with God, and I think this is the God-designed, God-ordained, origins, meaning, etc. in life. So I don't bring my conclusions to them without an awareness of their wrestlings or how absurd this sounds to them. Listen, when Paul spoke at the Areopagus, he spoke with great respect, but his words were offensive because they put into question what the world believes. So I know that that is in play, okay? So let's start there. Secondly, uh, it's very personal for people. So because it's very personal for people, there's an emotional weight in this. It's hard to be in this world and not have someone you care about who is somewhere in the community of the LGBTQ. Absolutely. I mean, like, like I do, I have people I care about, and, and we have dialogue about it. So, so my response to this is I have to know what I understand to be God's design God's way, God's will. And, and I think that's laid out in scripture. Yeah. So the way God designed male and female, made them uniquely, put them together in marriage, and that's the only God-honoring expression of, of, of sexual enjoyment, and that's God's design and to reproduce, et cetera. We, we spent a long time on that, I right. get it. I think that's true. I think that's God's design. Now, all of us have temptations outside that. Mm -hmm. So as a married person, I have temptations and I don't have the freedom to go outside those. Mm -hmm. So I have one wife, and that's my only option, sexually speaking, in life. You, see, everybody has temptations. So the answer that, well, it's not fair, and I have temptations, everybody does. So when you start moving that kind of a longer conversation, I'm like, I'm going to understand, but I'm going to choose to honor and walk with God. Now, how do you deal with a world that has differing opinions? At that point, I think um, the way we carry the compassion that Christ carried and if you can engage compassion as acceptance, because that's worldview, without mm -hmm. approval, so acceptance without approval, that's a world I walk with tons of people. So I can be their friend, and I don't want this to be the lead issue, to be honest with you. I, I don't want this to be the lead issue in my conversations with people. The culture has made it the lead issue, Yes. but I don't want to make it the lead issue. 
but because they drive it, I have to engage. So I'm going to give everybody a, a resource, okay? Uh, the author is Kevin DeYoung. I've given this to 12 Stone before. The author is Kevin DeYoung. Uh, what's the name of the book? Um, uh, what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? What does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? If you want a biblical background, I think he treats it as well as anybody else. So we lead with compassion. We engage acceptance, not approval, but I don't lead with this condemning kind of, I just have a completely different perspective. Great conversation. Man, these are good questions. This stuff we wrestle with. What else we got? Okay. Gary from Buford Campus. Hey, Gary. I know this topic we don't like to talk about on Sunday morning. Politics. So you're bringing it up? I, I, I know, what, I know. What on it's earth? It's Friday. <laughs> well, I hope I'm invited back next week. Talk to me. Should Christians be more involved in politics beyond just voting? Okay, great question. I'm going to answer that going back to what Travis asked earlier. Travis asked, um, in the past, churches sometimes draw lines and they draw hard lines and then a generation or two later, they figure out, well, that wasn't really a hard line, that was more of a dotted line, okay? So let me go back to that, to your question. There's nowhere in scripture that dictates the right or wrong of being actively involved in the politics of your country. Yes, sir. Whereby that you're obligated to be engaged in some active way. In fact, honestly, I don't even think biblically I can tell everybody you have to vote, and if you don't, it's a sin. I don't even think that's true. Yes, I would encourage people to vote. I wish more of us would get involved in politics, but you kind of want to have a sense of calling, and you want to know how yes. to do that in a meaningful way. But I think Christians ought to inundate the culture of politics, and then Here's a big one, like do it in a godly way. Yes, Not sir. just yeah. inundate it, but like do it in a godly way. Is that possible? I don't even know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I could. So, so I think the answer is yes. Yes, sir. They can, they could, they should, but I couldn't draw a line and say everybody has to and must. And the reason we don't talk about politics much at 12 Stone, if you go back to last fall, yes, which went really, really well, yes, uh, <laughs> is, is, is because it's so divisive. Yes. And right now, our culture, it's just, man, we can't unify. We are so divided yes. as a nation, and, and we're killing each other. It's like, it's like parents looking at their kids like, what on earth? Get along. Yes, sir. I mean, you're all losing. We are collectively losing. There's no ultimate wins in this when you go after each other. And we know this, and I'm not going to solve it right now, but that's my answer to specifically your question, and, and if we want to talk more, we can. Do you Thank have a follow-up or anybody else? Thank you very much. Yeah. Hi, uh, Kevin. I'm uh, Sean from Central. Hey, Sean. And um, my question kind of goes along with the last two about division because my question really is about um, racial tensions because, um, honestly, I'm very fearful for my husband, my son, and even myself, mm. just the way that um, just the way their country is right now. And I, I'm frustrated in that I don't see anyone who doesn't look like me speaking out about it. Mm. Like... People that look like me were saying this is wrong, but I, in the church, I don't really hear a lot of people saying it's wrong, and I'm thinking, how is it not wrong, the things that we're seeing? Am I, am I crazy? Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit what you mean by we're fearful, um, if you don't mind. I'm fearful that my 11-year-old be playing outside and not follow directions quickly enough and get shot. I'm fearful driving down the street, I'll get pulled over, and someone will say something crazy to me, and my son will be in the back seat and hear it, or something would happen to me. Um, I'm just, I, I'm fearful going to visit family and 
North Carolina or South Carolina driving by myself with my child, um, maybe not a police officer, but just somebody else, I'm just very fearful. Yeah, the tensions are that high, aren't they? Yes, yeah. for me, for my yeah. community. Yeah. And I don't hear anyone saying anything. And it, it's really, I'm like, I, wh why is that not something that everyone's saying is crazy? If, if other people were feeling this way, I feel like more would be said about it. Yeah. First of all, I, I, can't, I can't act like I get that. I, I, I would be way out of place if I said, I, I, oh, I understand exactly uh, what you're saying. I don't think I do. Not, not in the way you're saying it and, and the way you're applying it. So, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what I would say, but I have, a, I, I have a couple thoughts. First of all, I can't defend the world. I can just defend Jesus. So, that's, 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 so let me start there. Um, th there's just no superior or inferior race um, in God's creation. Can I get an amen, church? I mean, there just isn't. You got it. This is really important because part of figuring out the answer is figuring out where the answer is. And see, only Jesus ultimately can change a heart. You can't legislate mm -hmm. somebody's heart. So when, when Peter figured this out in the book of Acts, that, that, that God loves all people equally and everybody's equally in the kingdom, um, racism was resolved. And racism is resolved in the kingdom of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to celebrate everybody. You've got to love everybody equally. You've got to say, wow, the church should look like heaven. I mean, first of all, our church should look like the community, which means however the, the ethnicity diversity is in the community, we hope we reflect that as a church. You see that happening around Twelstone, which is, isn't that spectacular? It's yes. a pretty awesome thing to see yes. that happening in the life of our church. So I, I can tell some of you like, yeah, can I say that? Yeah, you can. <laughs> And it should look like the kingdom of God. So, so, it ha so it starts right there. The second thing is fear is a real thing. And um, while you experiencing fear and the, and, and the rest of us have kind of our own fears in that, you, you are going to have to take that uh, before God. You, you, you're going to have to go process that before God and solve some of your fear under his sovereignty. Because Paul had reasons to be afraid when he walked into the Areopagus. Mm -hmm. So I, I know why you, you would say you're afraid. I'll take a risk. Jason, fix this um, later. <laughs> Don't look at I'm me. Wrong. You ready? You ready? Our society seems to like the conflict. It gets stirred. I'm not convinced our culture is all excited about getting this resolved. Mm -hmm. When you get political parties that are fighting for power, they don't want resolution. They want more conflict. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to point fingers unless they're pointed always, all mm -hmm. directions. So, so here's what I'm saying. I think more people are saying it than you know. Because in my world, if I'm in the white group, which I think I am, <laughs> there's well, tons. you don't look like me. Listen, <laughs> I don't look that good. I can't look that good. But listen, there's tons of us saying it. <clears throat> okay. There's tons of us saying it. And we think uh, it ought to be a safe world for everybody, for you, for your husband, for your 11-year-old boy, for my 14-year-old son, for my wife, right? Right. I mean, don't we mutually agree it should be Absolutely. safe for all of us? And so the first thing we ought to be able to unite on is all men are created equal. It's not in the Constitution. It's in the preamble, but we agree. We fight for that, but we get to do better than the rest of the world. We get to unite in Jesus. So I think we are saying that, and the way we live this out as a church really puts that in practice. Now I'm going to throw one more thing because it's on my mind. 
you transfer what's in you. So as a mom, as a parent, whatever fear you carry, you will transfer. It's really important that you add faith and reason to the emotion. And you get those settled before God because you'll transfer that mm-hmm. to your kid. And there's only one God in this deal. Mm-hmm. And every generation has lived in uncertainty. And I think God would invite you, if not encourage you, go get it. Not all of it, but you can go get a good bit of that fear settled in him. Because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can threaten God's design for your family or your future And you have confidence in that. That doesn't mean it's a trouble-free world. It just means that God has his hand on you and you have confidence in the sovereign hand of God over your life. And I think a little bit of peace in that gets transferred in your son and in your family. And that might be something that that could be a win for you. Okay, is that fair? Yes. Okay. Man, did we just about hit every complex (laughs) cultural... What more can you throw uh, in the mix? I'll ask another Oh, I'll go ahead. I'll throw something more in the mix. Why not? Just in case it wasn't heated up enough. Uh, A lot of times these topics seem too big for us to tackle. Even politics, all all of these cultural issues where we feel like, what's the point? But what would you say are some practical ways that an individual can fight uh, injustice? Whether it's whatever injustice, whether it's racial, uh, um, bullying, sexism, whatever it is, uh, if you experience it, how can we make a difference individually yeah. and not feel like we're lost in too big a fight? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, there are several things, and then you can respond back even. Um, I think we overcomplicate it on, on one side, and, and then we underestimate it on the other. So, so let me talk about the, the complicated. How you personally handled this is, is going to make the biggest difference. So as long as you arrest it in you and you walk well in it and the way you handle people, navigate relationships and deal with people, that's significant. How we engage it as a church really does matter. I'm telling you, this: if we're distant as a church and you're just like, well, I'm uninvolved and we'll just see how 12 stone. No, you are 12 stone. Who is 12 stone? We are. Who is 12 stone? We are. A church is not a building, it's people. So if you're not there, 12 stone didn't show up. Like how does Jesus show up? He shows up through you. So when you show up and you make the difference, you are the difference, it's happening. So that's true among us. And so if we unify in some of those values and carry this heart out into the community, it makes a huge difference. How I parent my kids, how I handle myself personally, how I engage the church, how I do my small group, how I go to school, how I handle myself at work. I am the difference maker, how I carry myself. Okay, with that, then I get involved in a church where God's given influence and favor and and we're positioned uniquely to carry that heart and that value out to the world. Then the things that we do as a church that are unified and listen, usually the most powerful thing to disunity is unity. Say it with me. The most powerful thing to disunity is what? Unity. Never underestimate the power of unity. When we do stuff together, people go, oh my goodness, how does that work? So I think if we did better in unity uh, together as a church and even across churches, that would make a huge difference. And then I'm going to go to the third. The third is ask the Holy Spirit to tell you, what are you uniquely equipped to do? Where do you have a burden? You can't do everything. Right. You can't do, Right. Can anybody do everything? I mean, you can't, only Jesus can be in two places at one time, but not you. So whatever God, talk to God. But what do you, God, what do you put on my heart to do? Is there anything in the arena of social justice that I need to practically actively get engaged in? And, and then go, because it, it's endless. Yeah. 
endless what you can do and wherever God puts your heart. So I, I would pray about it because where God puts your heart, God usually gives you unique favor and influence. Follow-up question over here. All right. My name's Najee. I'm from the Central um, Campus. Uh-huh. Um, I'm from Haiti originally. Uh-huh. And um, in our home, it was almost as if we were, even though we were in America, it was almost as if we were still in Haiti. Yeah. So because of our culture and so forth. So growing up, um, we were always in church and so forth. But I never myself really understood the Bible growing up. But I went to church and listened to everything that they were telling us. Uh-huh. But now having kids of my own, um, growing up, I did end up going to learn moment. I did the Jehovah Witness. I went all over the place, still was confused. And as an adult now to today, I'm still confused in a sense of saying, I've never read the Bible by myself. And so because I've been confused since childhood, because it was forced upon me, how do I avoid not doing that to my kids and especially not having read the whole Bible myself? Because I don't want to mislead them or give them the wrong information since I can misinterpret it the wrong way. So how do I do that? What's your name again? Neji. Neji? Yes, sir. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. Neji, I love you. Oh. <laughs> this you room right now doesn't know how much they appreciate you. You just asked one of the most courageous, honest, give it up for her. That right there. <laughs> Come on. That's one of the most courageous. You, you, know, you know what everybody's afraid of? Saying I don't know. Mm. Aren't you? Isn't everybody kind of afraid? Oh, I don't know. And so everybody's afraid to say, I don't know. So everybody assumes everybody else knows more than they do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and if you don't, if you've never had somebody walk you through it. Right. And if you haven't been discipled in it, how could you know? Right. And if you've been exposed to five or six different frameworks to apply religion or mm-hmm. elements of scripture, you're like, how would... Right, how, how do you right? which one's great, which one's right, which right. one's wrong. <laughs> right, so, so that brings us to why we're here, why we're like doing Q&A, why 12 Stone exists, not only to help people come into faith, but you can't come into faith if you don't understand it. Right. It's hard to say yes to Jesus when you don't know who he is. So therefore, when we do this Genesis to Revelation overview, which is one of my most favorite things to do where we walk through the Bible, and we have got to do that again. That, that's got to, I'm working on that uh, material again. But a walkthrough from Genesis through the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament. Uh, right now, I want to go to the whiteboard, draw the whole thing out, and explain <laughs> it to you, which will take me about 20 minutes, and it'll be awesome. Um, so... Uh, so, but I, don't, I can't do that right now. But what I can tell you is this. You can go on 12 Stone's uh, website okay. online and um, let's see, what's it under? Everybody? Okay. Of everybody and Puzzled by the Bible, I think, are the two ways you can find it. Awesome. Look up the teaching series, Puzzled by the Bible and Everybody. They're both similar, both kind of the same format, different wrapping. And it will invite you to read scripture and then listen to the teaching, read scripture, listen to the teaching, and I give an overview of the Bible from beginning to end to kind of contextualize it, okay? Beyond that, of course, all the discipleship, small group, and things that we do. But it's hard to get unless you get the overview, right? Right, right. If somebody doesn't give you the whole overview. Now, if that is not helpful to you, you personally, it's on tape, you personally come back to me and tell me that was not helpful (laughs) to you, you need more help, and I'll make sure you get personal one-on-one specific help, okay? Awesome, thank you. Great, great question. Give it up for the courage to ask. I'm so glad you asked. Great question. Okay, 12 stone, eventually Paul had to bring it to a close, the end of the Q&A. But he was going to come back just like we're going to come back next week. And we're going to answer the question about morals. Who am I and how do I live? 
And we're going to address questions from you about family and the like. And so we're left with a challenge, the, the challenge Paul gave to all of us. Do you tend to answer questions from the outside in, led by God as to what matters and what's meaningful? Or did you find from this conversation that sometimes you tend to answer questions from the inside out? You start with me. You start with the world. So you're going to have to go wrestle that down. In fact, as we turn the service over to the campus pastors, they want to take a moment and pray over you. God has stirred something in you. We want to pray that God settles this in you, helps you grow to your next, to your new. So bow your heads with me, would you? Let's pray. Father, to be taught by you, instructed by you, to learn from you is really quite revolutionary. I'm going to ask God that you would take the weight of the teaching, your insight into Q&A, and that you would speak into us, because it's never occurred to many of us that, that the world starts with me and answers questions from the inside out, and that God, what, what separates us who are followers of you, we're, it's from the outside in, we start with you. God, would you teach us how that sits inside this world and our own souls. In fact, some of us, God, if we had the courage, maybe your Holy Spirit has made known to us as we're here, and this is a big deal, that you're arresting our attention. Well, maybe, God, this is the first time we've been able to hear from you that we do some of our life, starting with you, from the outside in, and we're walking with you, but then we've got other areas in our life, God, where we, we look just like the world. We're joining the world from the inside out. We're asking you to conform to us. No wonder many times we pray for you to be over our marriage or family or culture or situations or job or money or, or, or moral situations, and, and it doesn't come about. We wonder, God, why aren't you answering prayer? And we, we, we don't even have the right perspective. We're not walking in the right truth. We don't understand your will. We don't know your wisdom. We get caught in this culture. We start thinking that the culture's thinking might be right. God, this is complex. Would you arrest our attention? Would you give us light where we're not even aware that we're more in the dark and matters that matter in this world? That would be a courageous thing right now, God, for men and women to say before you, wow, I think that's me over here on this issue in this matter. And so many of us may walk away today, even in this time, and say, God, would you forgive me? I repent from some of that. Really, all of that that's out of line with you, it restore me enlighten me. In fact, Father, if I could pray for one more thing for over all of us, particularly as a church and in this territory, I pray for unity. Our world is so broke. What's going on in Charlottesville breaks our hearts. God, this world isn't fixing itself. Our country's messed up. And I know and we know that there's unity like no other place on earth in your church around you. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Bible, one truth, one God. Oh God, would you help us rise up to a unity in Jesus and, and talk more about what we have in common than what we have in difference. 
knit us around you. Let us be a light in this community. God, the church should be able to rise up and demonstrate to the rest of the world that racism and inferior, superior kind of race issues are resolved in Jesus. You created us in your image. God, would you, would you knit a unity among us as a church? Would you let churches live this out better than the rest of the world so eventually the world says, okay, we got to go talk to the church because they can do something the rest of us can't do. The solution lies in you. God, would you make that possible? Would you make us better at that? Would you help us live that out well? Would you help us walk with you? We got lots of questions in this culture. You have answers. Would you take the truth that you've stirred among us today and would you help us walk in it so that the blessing, the better life that you have might be ours? And then would you make us great witnesses in a world that is answering questions the opposite of how you delivered the truth? May we love well in this world. May we know how to do acceptance without joining the world. Do this and more through us that you might get the glory, we pray in Christ's name. And everyone agreed saying, amen.